Welcome to the Living Stress-Free Podcast. I'm Lou Guadagnino. And I'm Marilyn Guadagnino. We're from Rochester, New York. On the edge of America. On the edge of America. (laughs) All right, so talking about um, on the edge of America and Rochester, New York, I mean, what does that mean exactly? (laughs) Well, um, I'm not from Rochester, but I remember the first time I came up here, it was 1991, and um, I was interviewing for a a job and as soon as I was on my interview the first thing I wanted to do is see Lake Ontario because it is the edge of America across from Lake Ontario is Canada and Lake Ontario is one of the Great Lakes and it's enormous and I never saw a lake that big before so that always stuck in my mind as one of my first memories of Rochester. Well, see, on the other hand, I grew up here, and although I knew that, uh, obviously, across the lake, Ontario, uh, is uh, Canada, I never really thought of us being on the edge of America. You know, not in the same way, for instance, that you think about uh, California being on the edge of America, uh, or Texas, or any other place. For some reason, uh, we never thought about it that way. No one ever talked about it. But we really are on the edge of America. (laughs) <laughs> I know. It must be because it's a we have the two bordering countries to the United States with Canada above us and Mexico below us. But, you know, Canada being so close. And I, I know when when Lou and I got together, we used to go up to Canada a lot for weekend trips and just vacations. So um, I don't know. It just stuck that Canada's so close. It's amazing. It's so close. It's a great country. Actually, so is Rochester a great city. Mm-hmm. So why don't we uh, explain to folks about who we are and what we're doing and why it's so important for them to listen to the Living Stress-Free podcast. That's a good idea. And my voice, by the way, is extra low today because I'm... It's very I, sexy. I have, very sexy. <laughs> how smoky of you. Smoky. I have a bit of a cold because it's spring and, you know, that's what happens in the spring a lot of times. But anyway, uh, I'm Marilyn and um, I've been doing Living Stress-Free with my husband, Lou, since 2011. And the whole point of Living Stress-Free, our company, is to help people lower their stress, balance their life, and reach their goals. And so the way I personally, my role in our company is um, I'm a licensed therapist. I'm also a music therapist. I have great interest in the use of sound and music with meditation mindfulness practitioner Um, so I use all of that to work individually with people providing LSF counseling and um, and different meditation techniques and other techniques Um, I wrote a book last year the living stress-free Bible 20 techniques to make your life less stressful and that book is chock filled with lots of strategies and techniques to help lower stress so Lou why don't you tell us more about you I don't really do anything hardly at all. I set this up, this podcast. I think that was pretty good of me. Um, I I don't know. Let's just go on. I can't, you know, I meditation teacher, life coach, um, philosopher extraordinaire. (laughs) This is true. And Uh, we're so glad you're joining us for our podcast because you will experience his um, philosopher extraordinaire side of him. Yes. So I saw this article, um, a friend of ours sent me this article from the New York Times. It's called The Case for Doing Nothing. It's by Olga Mekking, and Olga Mekking is a writer, journalist, and translator living in the Netherlands. And this article came out in April 
April 29th, 2019, so pretty recently, not too long ago. But it was all about something called Nixon. Now, Lou, did you ever hear yeah, of Nixon? Yeah, first of all, is? I don't, yeah, the first thing I want to know is, is it, are we pronouncing that correctly? It's N-I-K-S-E-N. So I, I really don't know how to pronounce it, and I'm not sure if it should be pronounced like Richard Nixon. But um, I don't know whether it's okay. Nixon. Yeah, I don't really, a, really don't know. That's a good point. So if, if we're, I'm sure that we're really slaughtering this word. And if, so forgive us. Give us a call or an email at livingstressfree.org and let us know if you, how to, if you know how to pronounce N-I-K-S-E-N. But to answer your question, yeah, I did love it. The idea uh, is that we need more time in life doing nothing. And this is obviously in tune with uh, living stress-free with what we're trying to share with people. And I thought it was a wonderful article. But, but what made you pick it out to begin with? Well, it really um, struck home with what we teach people because um, part of the message of living stress-free is balance. And we just live in such a busy world. We, most people are just so busy. And that's what this person started, Olga Mecking, she started the article with, that people are very, very busy and uh, running from place to place. And many of them, they stay busy because it makes them feel like they are more important. And then she says that being busy is rarely a status indicator. So it starts with that. But I'm not sure if, I I doubt that everybody stays busy to feel important. I think we just can't help it. Life is incredibly busy with all the things we have to keep up with. Well, Hank, I'd like to say something to that. I think actually now we can't help it, but the way our society kind of got us hooked into being so busy was was I believe was through our ego. You know, they gave us the the the, the carrot was if you're like a really busy person who's who's, you know, out there accomplishing changing the world um, bit by bit. Um, you were a really important person, and I think we did get suckered into believing that. Yeah, yeah, and now it's just become a habit. Well, now you know, now the the slave master, the man, you know, the <laughs> corporate America. I mean, there's no way out now. So, you know, once they get your ego, well, that's it. That's that. I I think that's what's happened. So um, the article starts out saying the impact of being too busy is burnout, anxiety disorders, stress-related diseases are on the rise, as well as millennial burnout. There's more and more articles about millennial burnout, which is a topic we will probably address in the future. But so this Nixon, N-I-K-S-E-N, the actual definition is doing nothing with without a purpose. So this is like a new concept for a lot of people doing nothing without a purpose um they um she goes on in the article it's um likened to a car whose engine is running but it isn't going anywhere <laughs> um the, this she, sounds like me <laughs> the idea of nixon is to take conscious considered time and energy to do activities like gazing out of a window or sitting motionless. So those are some of her examples. So whether at home or at work, permission is granted to spend the afternoon just hanging out. So what struck me when I got to that point in the article is, um, Lou, since I've known you, you've been very good at doing this. At doing nothing? Yes. yes. I am very good at doing nothing. And, and, you know, and I say that in a very unabashed way, a very proud way. Uh, I do think that doing nothing is a very important 
part of being a human being. Uh, actually, any species. I mean, cats do it all the time. Dogs do it all the time. Birds, as we know, we've had many birds do, do it all the time. I think it's it's a part of nature, yeah. And I've experienced it now for a while, and I can see the benefit. But I, I that was like so anti what I did. I, I come just, my nature is to just do and do and do and always be working, working, working. And I, I don't usually take time to do nothing. I feel like I always could be accomplishing something. And I'm sure there's people that also have that same mindset. But when, you know, spending time with you and getting used to the fact that you were just as efficient and productive with your periods of doing nothing, I realized that, you know, I should definitely try it out more. Well, I think for me, part of it was my Mediterranean uh, culture, the background of just, uh, you know, a feeling, there was a feeling in my family that there should be, there should always be time to relax and enjoy. Is somebody breaking out of jail over there? Or what's going on? Oh, it's one of our it's birds. One of our Sorry, par- guys. Parakeets. Okay, well, thank God it's only that. I thought somebody was. <laughs> Never mind what I thought. But at any rate, um, I think that you know that that was something that was big in my family. They had been through the depression. My parents had been through the depression, and I think they kind of looked at um, the whole point of a life was to to have time to also enjoy yourself and have fun. So I grew up in that kind of environment. Well, I think it it's it's much needed in our culture. People do they would benefit from spending more time doing nothing. And it isn't really that you're doing nothing. The one thing that I noticed about this article which I, I enjoyed, but she talks a lot about boredom. And I don't see doing nothing as boredom. I don't I don't I didn't equate get that, that at all. I mean, I, I, I'm assuming we don't understand. Um, this particular woman that Marilyn's talking about is a psychologist, if I remember right. And she was writing about doing nothing, but she immediately equated it with boredom. And there is no explanation in the article exactly why boredom is associated with doing nothing. I certainly don't think of it that way. But, you know, maybe there was a good reason. Let's give her the benefit of the doubt. Um, she did say some interesting things about it, but uh, I don't see doing nothing as boring. No, I don't either. And um, actually, if you if you be, if you begin to take the idea of mindfulness and being in the moment as much as you possibly can, really make that a lifestyle, you will actually never be bored because in every moment there's something interesting going on. It's just a matter of looking around to find it or experience it with some part of your senses there's always something to make every moment interesting so uh, i actually think boredom is an unnecessary state of mind (laughs) yeah well take today today's memorial day in the united states this is a day when we we pay honor to the people who fought for our country laid down their lives for our country and there's of course there's a tradition there's as there is with almost every holiday certain foods are associated with it certain rituals are associated with it well one could easily say oh here's another memorial day you know it's the same as all the other memorial days i've been through so why go through it but the truth is is that if you're really in the here and now just like you're saying marilyn then you know each memorial day each day is different than the last and it is new every moment's new i noticed like if you're a lot of times a person could be stuck in a long line at a store and that's a great example of where boredom for some people could set in or if you're waiting in like in a doctor's office and you're waiting there for like an hour and a half and they haven't taken you in yet 
um, f- for a lot of people, they would be bored, but you, it's actually a choice. It's a choice. There's a lot going on in that hour and a half waiting in the doctor's office if, if you just open to the possibility that there's more you can explore. Yeah, or you could just be grateful you're not at work. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I always felt. You know, no matter how sick I was, you know, it was, well, it could be worse. I could be at work. <laughs> true but moving on to this article this uh, they they quote this psychologist from the university of central lancashire in britain her name's sandy mann and sandy mann her research says a lot about the benefits of daydreaming and daydreaming is something you do when you're doing nothing right um she says she's found that daydreaming which is an inevitable effect of idleness quote literally makes us more creative better at problem solving better at coming up with creative ideas end quote and for that to happen total idleness is required so if a person's trying to cultivate their creativity and inspire themselves you, you you actually have to do nothing to make that happen yeah you have to i think you have to allow creativity to arise or emerge in your mind i don't think it's something that you can force or make happen and if you are busy all the time then there is an obvious question of where is there time for this to happen? You know, where do we get to get to get to be creative? And the truth is, is as long as you're constantly in a schedule and you're constantly shooting for goals and objectives, there is no time for creativity. That's very true. And then, and then they go on. They they quote Chris Bailey, who's a productivity expert and author of a blog, the A Life of Productivity, and he says that idleness <laughs> can be a great. It sounds like hell to me. <laughs> he says idleness can be a great productivity tool because quote if our energy is totally shot, our productivity is not going to be good because we're not going to have fuel to burn with which to be productive. So it's counterintuitive. I mean, if you lose all your energy, how are you going to be able to do anything, basically? Yeah, that's true. But I have to be honest with you uh, and Mr. Mann. I I really am not going to do nothing so that I can be more productive. (laughs) I'm going to do nothing because I'm going to do nothing. (laughs) So um, this article gives us five, five tips to start having more idleness <laughs> doing nothing in your life. This is great. This is great. <laughs> and the first is make time for doing nothing and do it with purpose. So figure out <laughs> when you're most productive and creative. What then, does that mean? <laughs> well, here he says, figure out when you're most productive and creative and then notice when your mind starts to shut off or you start performing tasks just for the sake of doing them. Mm-hmm. That's when you should go for a walk or take a break. The Mm. intention behind the decision is what counts. So it's starting to be more aware of your natural energy cycles throughout the day. And I like that. Yeah, me too. The natural ebb and flows of your energy, which we ignore and we're actually trained to ignore. Um, And that's really, in my opinion, that's just a dumb idea. We really should be listening to ourselves. We should. Like, for example, I have my most energies in the morning and then I get a lull in the afternoon, and then it comes back up again. But what about you? Yeah, no, I definitely in the morning is when I'm mostly productive. 
Uh, I do start getting tired like you, but then unlike you, I just never arise again. You know, just, that's kind of it. You're not a phoenix. No, there's no, there's no, no rising. No, there's no rising. It's just, you know, he's gone. Well, you just continue the doing nothing. So you are doing something. <laughs> the second tip is to resist the culture of busyness. So they suggest in this article, when someone asks you what you're doing during a nothing break, simply respond, nothing be unapologetic <laughs> about taking breaks or holidays and if you start to feel guilty about being seen as lazy think of nixin not as a sign of laziness but as an important life skill so i agree with this but i think it would be hard for people to just say nothing without feeling guilty i think that's um uh, part of the uh, our society is we have to feel like we're doing. And if somebody questions if we're not doing something, uh, I know a lot of people that would feel bad about that. Yeah, I think most people would. But I think that the article is right that we should, like, take the bull by the horns and just, you know, we got to get over the shame. Yes. We have to get over. I mean, what good does it do to, you know, so we make up a story. Oh, I'm doing nothing because I'm trying to save my heart or, you know, <laughs> whatever <laughs> I'm reducing colon cancer this way. I mean, you know, I mean, how how much nothing are we going to do when we feel that bad about it? You know what I mean? Yeah, we don't need a reason. No, we don't. We, need, we don't, we don't and, need. A, we don't need a confessional. Just you know, why don't we just tell people what are you doing? I don't know nothing. What are you doing? And we don't need to explain ourselves. This comes up so often. People have this need to, if somebody asks you a question, we have this, we're compelled to give them an answer. We all do. I am. I mean, I feel that way too. I do that to myself, you know? (laughs) I mean, I ask myself questions and then I get like panicky. Oh my God, I've got to answer myself. (laughs) You know, myself just said to myself, what are you doing? Oh, I tell you. And I start coming up with, you know, oh, I'm going to shave soon. And, you know. (laughs) No, it's so true. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that's like, Takeaway number one from from our podcast today: Stop having to give an answer to everybody that has a question. It's okay that even you don't, yourself, yeah, don't. Have, it's okay that you don't have an answer. The third tip they give in this article is to manage your expectations. So, don't get discouraged if you don't catch on immediately to the benefits of idleness. Know that sitting still might actually be uncomfortable at first and might take practice, just like exercise. And I agree when I, like I mentioned earlier, I wasn't the kind of person that could sit and do nothing. But when I first started doing it, it did felt uncomfortable. Like I had to make myself on a day off, not do something that day, or at least half the day. (laughs) And it was hard, but now I'm used to it. So it really, there's a learning curve. Just be, you know, just because you're uncomfortable doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. Yeah, that's a very good point. If you are relaxing taking time off doing nothing you are probably going to feel bad about it or uncomfortable about it at first and you just have to uh you know be like kind of like rocky you know push on through push on through push on through like rocky number four is um arranging your physical space so you can do this so this is actually a very helpful um suggestion here they say to consider the physical space in your home and workplace keep your devices out of reach so that they'll be more difficult to access and turn your home into a nixon friendly area so can we say nixon nixon Nixon. i know it sounds like (laughs) i'm sorry i just have trouble with the name nixon 
They say add a soft couch, a comfy armchair, a few cushions, or even just a blanket. So, you know, if you're, all your mobile devices are close by, it is very easy if you're sitting there practicing doing nothing and just allowing yourself to enjoy the moment and you got a phone close by, it's going to be pretty easy. Just grab it and check your email or, or whatever. Yeah, I leave my phone away from me several hours a day and it's very helpful. Yeah, and um, there's so many in the work I do with people, so many clients that they're just, um, they they can't shut it off all night long. And they're actually woken by their phone and, you know, just turn the phone off at night, just shut it off. Well, I, you know, at first I was worried, you know, when I stopped carrying my phone with me everywhere, I got, you know, a little bit nervous. But, you know, all the times I've been doing it, all the hours I, I just left someplace, nothing has ever happened. <laughs> nothing, zero has happened. I've gotten away with it 100% of the time. Again, this is like the society trains us. We have to be ready at every moment for anything anybody might anything. have to say to us right. because we might miss out. And, you know, there. yeah, I've never heard of anything really bad. And if there's something you really need to know, they will leave you a voicemail. Yeah, or you'll just know because, you know, your house will blow away or something <laughs> will happen. But you, you'll find out even without the weather app. Um, the last tip is to think outside the box. It says if you can't sit still in your home or workplace, go to a park or um, read a book at a go to a day spa or something. Um, of course, that's easier for people to do in other countries than here. <laughs> but I guess it depends who you are. Um, oh, they even encourage people to host boredom parties <laughs> during which a host invites over a few friends to just be bored together. But again, there's that boredom. Who's going to do that though? I, I mean, that's crazy and idea. Is, and why would you be bored unless your friends are there pretty boring be, people? I, I'm hoping there's some translation issue here. I mean, because yeah. So apparently well they equate the word boredom in the article with doing nothing. And that's not necessarily what doing nothing means in English. Exactly. But I did like the parts of the article that talk oh, about yeah, how um, it can improve your your creativity and your inspiration and it reminded me of a book you've been reading lou you want to share a little about that book that talks yeah, about that yeah, it connects yeah. well to this article yeah because that's why i chose it um before i begin i gotta you know a little disclaimer here i have not finished this book i'm not an expert on this book so um no. lou always has five or six books going at a time and i'm that's probably minimizing <laughs> this well this is one of them that i haven't finished yet but it's a great book i discovered it by uh seemingly by accident but it's a great book it's called uh the title is called why greatness cannot be planned subtitle the myth of the objective and it's written by kenneth o stanley and joel lehman and it's really a, a great book because its premise is, is really interesting. Um, it, first of all, a little bit of the background. Um, the book began with Mr. Stanley, Kenneth O'Stanley, thinking about artificial intelligence. And one of the things about artificial intelligence is that uh, algorithms um, are a big part of it, but they're usually associated with explicit goals and objectives so for instance if you're on facebook um, and they're obviously using algorithms they're trying to find what you're doing what your patterns are but they have objectives and they have goals 
for, for gathering this information and how to use it. Kenneth Stanley was interested in the idea of what if there was no goal? What if there was no objectives? And what he found through studying artificial intelligence and algorithms was that sometimes even greater things happened. So in other words, algorithms, patterns in life, patterns that we can pretty much predict are important, but they become in some ways even more important when we don't have goals and objectives. And so he started studying this, and um, Mr. Joel Lehman helped him a great deal uh, as well. They, this book was actually co-written by both of them. And they started spreading this kind of idea, or really more a question, uh, throughout culture and throughout a country, especially as it had to do with innovation and how people were able to uh, discover new things, create new things, and also become real problem solvers. So what they what he started learning, what both of them started learning was that actually objectives and goals, as helpful as they are, they get in the way of the really great creative things that happen in our world. In other words, let's say somebody is is going to, you know, chemistry class and there's the goal. The goal is to learn so much information and they're graded on it. And if everything goes right, the person who gets an A, for instance, uh, on their chemistry test knows more than somebody who gets a failing grade like D or E, whatever it may be, F, whatever it may be. So that's how goals and objectives work together for us to, to help us. But because they automatically create certain patterns, certain assumptions, they also screen out a lot of possibilities and this book is about how greatness comes about not so much through, and this is my words now, I just want to own this here because I'm not, I don't want to project my own ideas out of this book, but people who are able to adapt, adaptation to the flow of life rather than stubbornly stick with their goals and their objectives are more successful and they come up with more innovative ideas than people who stick to the goals and the objectives no matter what. Some of the examples, these are just two. I'm going to go through two real quick ones. Um, one he gave was, uh, this is a, a matter of technology, that vacuum tubes, um, which were instrumental in creating computers, were actually invented 100 years before computers were, were invented. And people like Thomas Edison, for instance, were investigating vacuum tubes, uh, vacuum tubes in terms of electricity. Nobody at that time knew that vacuum tubes were going to be a very big part of making a computer work. But push ahead in time, and they were. Now, let's take two people. These are He has several, a lot of people, actually. He brings up their careers and, or what they invented. But two people that everybody knows. Johnny Depp, for instance, is an example that he uses. Johnny Depp was a musician. He was trying to become a musician. He had no motivation to become an actor. That wasn't an aspiration of his. But it turned out that um, he started going out with, the, I believe it was the bass player of the band that he was in, sister. And... Um, he, she became his girlfriend and she was a, a makeup artist. And through his connection to her and, and the film industry, Johnny Depp's career took off and he became an actor. 
Second example he gave, which I thought was even more interesting, was Harlan David, uh, who we all know as Colonel Sanders. Harlan David Sanders, Colonel Sanders. He started cooking for his family when he was very young, when he was a kid, when his dad died. And he continued cooking for his family off and on. He had a lot of careers. Some of his careers were that he was a, a, a captain of a steamboat. He was also an insurance salesman, a number of things. And at one point, he opened up a gas station. And in order to make more money in that gas station, he went back to his cooking his chicken. And he started selling it to his customers at the gas station. And that turned into Kentucky Fried Chicken. So what was interesting about this book is finding out how going with the flow is what makes great inventions happen, great innovation happen, and also how we problem solve as human beings. I thought it was a great book. So what it reminds me of is um, with LSF, we teach there's a difference between a goal and an intention. And we come from a very goal-focused society. And I think, like Lou mentioned, it comes we, in school, we have to be. And so it becomes something where it becomes a habit from our academic studies. And then a lot of people work in jobs that are very goal-focused. And so, but then they can't separate that out when they get into the rest of their lives. That um, if you are very focused on a goal, it's very, it's very me-driven. It's very... Um, I got to do this. I got to do this. And there's not much room for flexibility. I'll give you a quick example. If somebody has a goal of exercising, this is a common one. They want to exercise five days a week for at least 45 minutes to an hour. And if they don't do those five days a week, that person gets very upset with themselves and like, oh God, I missed, I missed two days this week, you know, and they feel lazy and they feel like they didn't try hard enough and they, and they just, um, it goes on and on from there. Now the difference between goal and intention and intention, you still have this focus on a direction you want to go, something you would like to eventually achieve, but you're allowing for nature, the universe, God, whatever, to intercede and assist in the process, which then allows you to be more flexible. So it's almost like, you know, two people, their destination is to go from New York to California, and one takes the most direct route to their driving. One takes the most direct route, even though there's some storms along the way, and there's construction and everything, and it takes them longer to get there, but they're they're going to stick to that route. And then you have somebody else that just says, okay, well, I'll just go off and I'll try this road and I'll try this road and okay I got a detoured here but hey it's okay I still they both still get to California so but the one is just going with the flow and allowing whatever happens to happens and there's less stress involved with that where the other where they're very goal focused is um there's more stress involved because life will always come up with barriers and challenges that will will knock us off balance yeah that's a great example the, the the example that always means the most to me is dieting now this is something i say is that i have no science behind this this is just me my observations in life but i think the reason why people fail at diets i've, I've never i've only tried one diet in my whole life so <laughs> i'm not big on diets <laughs> so i'm not an expert at it but the reason why i believe that most people fail at diets is because of what you're saying because the body is going to need different things depending on the day. And it's really not very wise to tell the body through logic what it's going to do and not do depending on 
its own needs. You have to listen to your body. And so whatever diet you're following has to follow the rhythms of your own body. And if you don't do that, it's bound to fail in the same way that if you decide to strengthen your muscles and you just logically decide, well, the best thing to do is lift 500 pounds 10 times every day. You know, no matter what physical condition you're in, you're going to cause harm to your body. Mm -hmm. So what you're saying mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense to me. I think it's really true is that the, the message is we need to listen to ourselves. And, you know, this no pain, no gain, you got to push through an attitude. I mean, there are certain small parts of society that this is necessary, but it, we're talking about the, the everyday person that has a lot of stress. That's what living stress-free is all about. We want to help the everyday person with stress have less stress and really lower it and balance their life. And so you, you really, if you take that got to push through it attitude, your stress is going to stay there. It really cultivates more stress. If you just shift to a more ebb and flow, allowing, accepting the natural changes and to be flexible with whatever it is you're trying to achieve, you're going to be less stressed. Less stress and I think most more successful because you're going to be able to, you may not be able to complete your objectives and goals perfectly, but your intentions will be fulfilled if you are more flexible. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anyways, I just one more thing. I just wanted to say that I really suggest the book uh, Why Greatness Cannot Be Planned, The Myth of the Objective, written by Kenneth O'Stanley and Joel Lehman, is really worth checking out. And I'm sure you can find it on Amazon or out there somewhere. So give it a look. <laughs> Sounds good. So I think that we have, we're coming to a close now from this podcast. Certainly are glad you all joined us for today. Um, on the edge of America in on Rochester, the edge of New York. America. So we're going to go live stress-free. We hope you are too. So please visit our website, livingstressfree.org, and join us next week for another podcast. Yeah, look forward to it, and um, have a great Living Stress-Free Week. <laughs> Take care. Bye. Bye.